So, Holy Spirit, help us to know how to apply the story we just read to our lives this week. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, here's a statement I don't think very many people would disagree with. The church in our country does not have a great reputation these days. My wife has a friend who invited one of her neighbors to go to church with her. And when she did, the neighbor made a face and said, Church? Why would I do that? I'd rather go on a diet. Which I find kind of discouraging that some folks would rather eat celery all day than be here. I mean, I totally get missing church for the Seahawks playoff game, but a diet, not so much. But I think it illustrates a truth that the church in America just has bad PR. We're doing a sermon series next couple of weeks called What If? What if we followed Jesus more than our culture? How much more joy would we have? How much less fear? How would that transform our marriages, our friendships, our careers? And one of the things I think would be transformed is church from a place that a lot of people don't want to be to a place that a lot of people would want to be. Because you see, the church is not meant to be a building or an institution. It is not a club that dispenses religious goods and services. A church is meant to be a life-giving community where we are loved, healed, find adventure, friendship, joy, and a lot of fun. And I have found all of those things in many of the churches I've been a part of, including this one. But that is not the image of church. I mean, ask most non-Christians what comes to mind when they hear the word church, and you're likely to get phrases like judgmental, fighting about stuff that doesn't matter, like music style or picky theological points, boring Someone sent me a story about being in church with her two kids and little boy kept giggling and laughing and his six-year-old sister finally said, be quiet, you're not supposed to laugh in church. And he said, well, why not? And she pointed to the back door and said, see those people standing there? They're hushers. <laughs> Every service laughed at that joke. I'm so happy. You know, that's the image, isn't it? The church is just kind of this horrible place and no fun, no joy, and there are hushers there to enforce it. I got an email a while back from a visitor asking me, what are the rules in your church? And specifically, he said, can I clap when we sing? And, you know, the English teacher in me thought, you mean, may I clap when we sing, right? (laughs) I don't know if you can or not, but none of us can, so go ahead, doesn't matter. And those stereotypes of church, judgmental, bickering, whatever, you know, sometimes that happens in churches. But sometimes it doesn't. And it is not who Jesus empowers us to be. Jesus intends us to be a radical community that follows him more than our culture. And he calls us to be different. But different in ways that really matter. Because sometimes I think in America, the way Christians try to be different is they think, well, if I have a fish on my car, and if I listen to only Christian music, and maybe if I speak strange Christianese jargon and say things like, I'm just really on fire for the Lord, which if you'd never been to church, think how weird that would sound, right? Then I'm different than the culture. Now, there's nothing wrong with a fish on the car, and nothing wrong with that. It's just not the main thing. And I think, unfortunately, in America, sometimes we Christians are different in ways that don't really count, but then we're the same as the culture in all the ways that Jesus would want us to be different. Our marriages look the same. Our spending habits look the same. We're just as fearful as the rest of the culture, and I include myself in that. But the good news is Jesus empowers us as a community together to rise above the culture 
and be different. Be a community where folks feel more empowered, more loved, more inspired, more joyful than they do in the culture. And I've seen that happen in lots of churches. Not perfectly, no. But I've seen it happen, including here. And the passage we read today, which is very familiar, shows us how we can be refreshingly different in a couple of ways. And the first is, in a culture where we feel often overlooked and neglected, Jesus empowers us to be a caring community in spite of our differences. You know, these first Christians would sell some of their possessions in order to care for one another and even people outside their community. That is very different than the world. But as different as it is, it still happens in churches or things like it, including in this one. I talked to so many of you who have gone through a hard time, you know, the death of a loved one, illness, uh, some tragedy, and you've said over and over, but God showed up in the people in this church, doing things from the simple things like baking meals or offering babysitting to more complex things like helping unemployed people find jobs and even some folks paying other people's bills for a month or two or three while they go through a rough season. That's caring community. And if you haven't found that here, I just want to encourage you to find it. You can get in a small group. In fact, you can sign up today in the lobby. Or you can join a service group like Teaching Sunday School or Auto Angels or something like that to find community because Jesus empowers us to be a caring community and to do that in spite of our differences. And here's where it gets really counterculture. Here's where it can become really different. This first century church, you know who was in it? Different races, different cultures, different languages. Some of them had hated each other for 500 years. And they came together. That is counterculture. It was that, that way then and still today. Dr. King's dream was to have that kind of community, but he got it from Jesus because the first multi-ethnic, multi-classed, multi-gendered, true community in all of history was the church. Jesus calls us to be a community that cares for each other in spite of differences of race, economics, politics. I mean, even, can you imagine, music styles. I mean, everyone, you know, people who like classical and rock and jazz and even people who are, who are hopelessly lost like me and like country music, right? Everyone's included. It's just we have special interventions for those folks, right? <laughs> Jesus calls us to care for each other in spite of our differences. And why can we do that? How are we able to do that? Through the power of Jesus and through remembering this, that what we all have in common is we are all sinners who needed Jesus to die for us, to forgive our sins, to pay the price for our sins. That's what we've got in common. I heard a man recently talk about how he was raised by very artistic type parents and he himself is very left wing in his politics, but his best friend is an investment banker. This man says, you know, my friend reads the Wall Street Journal and I read the Village Voice, but I love the guy and we support each other. And all the political stuff doesn't matter because what he and I both know is we are sinners and Jesus died to pay for our sins and that's the thing we've got in common and that trumps everything else. Man, given the political culture of our time, that is counterculture. Jesus empowers us to be a caring community in spite of our differences. Second way that Jesus makes us refreshingly different as a community is that in a world where we feel that we have to pretend to have it all together, Jesus empowers us to be an authentic community. And I've talked about this one before, but I'm going to repeat it because this, this one we need to work on, First Press. This one we got to work on. 
Because the east side culture around us, it's all about keeping up appearances. You know, have the perfect house, have the perfect job, have the perfect marriage, have the perfect kids, never let them see you sweat. And that culture just seeps in here. And one of the most counterculture things we could do is get real with each other, get beyond news, weather, and sports with a few other Christians and get honest about our fears, our failures, our insecurities, our sins, and the good stuff in our life. That too. You know, we don't have to always sit around and be depressed because that's Christian. But we also have to get to the real stuff deep inside. Text says that these first Christians broke bread together with glad and sincere hearts. And some of you have heard me say this before. The word sincere comes from Roman times when dishonest potters used to put wax over the cracks and the flaws in the pots. But honest potters would stamp their pots sincera, which meant without wax. We need to have without wax relationships where we don't cover over our flaws, but we're honest with each other. We get real with each other. Because you know what, guys? This is a deep longing in the human heart to have a place we don't have to pretend. I read that there's an internet site where you can post anonymous confessions and get back an electronic absolution. <laughs> no lie. And it gets thousands of hits a day. People posting all kinds of things, their fears, their worries, their insecurities, secret addictions, an affair they had, all kinds of things. And they all say, it feels so good to get this off my chest. I just, you know, had to find someone who cared, I guess. But how much more freeing to get a real person, not an electronic thing, to say, I love you in spite of all your issues, and I got my own issues, so how can we help each other rise above them? You know, one of the things folks will say to me when they tell me something that they keep secret, that they don't tell other people, they'll say, man, if folks in this church knew what I struggled with, man, I'd be out of my ear, or they'd hate me. Or I had one guy said, you know, I'm just afraid to walk in here because I'm afraid I'm going to set off the sinner alarm. You know, I said, oh, don't worry, we got rid of that years ago. <laughs> the pastors kept setting it off, so... And I think how tragic, because when someone tells me something they've been carrying, I'll think, gosh, I can think of two or three other people in this church who struggle with the same thing. And if we all would just stop pretending to have it all together, well, then we could get on with the business of praying for each other and supporting each other and being the church that Jesus wants us to be. Because we all got our stuff, right? My brother recently was headed to an important meeting here in Seattle, and he lives in Salem, Oregon. He got up early, he got dressed, and he, he likes to drive with his shoes off, so he just throws his shoes in the car. Well, about Tacoma, he looked over and he saw that he had one black shoe and one dark brown shoe. So he called his wife, mostly just to vent. There was nothing she could do about it, but just to vent. And she said, you know, those shoes look pretty similar. I, why don't you just wear them? Maybe nobody will notice. That's sort of our culture, right? Just pretend you got it all together. Maybe nobody will notice. Right, so my brother thought that might work, so he looked over at the shoes to see if he could get away with it, and then he noticed that not only were they different colors, but he had two left shoes. <laughs> so he knew that wasn't going to work. So he stopped at Target, walked into the store wearing his two left shoes, right, just <laughs> looking like an idiot, got a new pair of shoes, and then when he, when he got to the cash register, you could tell that the clerk was having a terrible day, and she just looked miserable. So, so he said, you want to feel better about, better about your day? Look at my shoes. <laughs> she howled with laughter. She said, you're so messed up, I do feel better. <laughs> That's the church. We all got two left shoes. I'm messed up. You're messed up. All God's people are messed up. 
But when we get honest about that, we no longer feel alone, and we can be loved and accepted anyway. At least that's how it's supposed to go. Now, to be honest, because human beings are judgmental, everyone, not just Christians, you know, listen to our political rhetoric if you don't think we're judgmental. Sometimes it doesn't always go that way. It doesn't always feel acceptance in the church. But Jesus calls us to be an authentic community. So let's just make an agreement together that if someone gets honest with you about their secrets, their fears, their sins, that we're going to handle that carefully. You know, oh, gross, that's disgusting, often doesn't help. But you also don't say the other thing. Oh, no big deal. That, don't worry about it. I do that all the time. No, 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 no. You see, we don't judge, but neither do we condone or tolerate sinful or destructive behavior because that's not loving either. Because destructive behavior is, as it turns out, destructive, and it's not loving to let someone keep doing it. So here's what you say. This fear, this sin, this issue, it does not define you, and I'm not judging you. I got my own stuff. God loves you no matter what, but God loves you also enough to not leave you the way that he found you. So for your own sake, how can I help you overcome this? Neither judgmental nor tolerant. It's called love, and that's the response. And if someone tells you something and you feel a little judgmental about it, do two things. First, ask Jesus to help you get over it. One of our elders said this week that she grew up in New Mexico, and apparently in New Mexico, didn't know that there's this rivalry with Texas, and, 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 and there's this prejudice against Texans, and she said there was this phrase the governor would always say, oh, poor New Mexico, so far from heaven, so close to Texas. <laughs> and she said she knew that it was wrong, but she judged folks with a Texas accent, so she had to pray to get over this. Now, that's a, a little example, but Jesus can help us get over being judgmental about all kinds of things. And then the second way, oh, and this is a very good way to get over being judgmental. It works every time to get over being judgmental. Think of your own sin because we all have it and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all got stuff. So do you have that place where you can be real? If not, I want you to pray to find it and take some steps to make it happen in your friendships, in our small groups. Let's not just be so, you know, Bible studies, let's not just be social groups with a little bit of Bible tacked on the side. Let's talk about the good stuff in our lives, but also let's start asking each other questions like, you know, how are you really doing? And how's your soul? Where are you aching? And where are you faking? Caring community, authentic community, and last, a transforming community that moves out into the world and makes a difference. And first press, I think we do this wonderfully. I think y'all do this so well. You understand and have for 55 years that we're, being a Christian does not mean we're supposed to build the walls higher and retreat back into our Christian enclaves and huddle together in our little Christian cliques to retreat from the big bad world out there and only do Christian things with Christian people at Christian times in Christian ways, wearing little Christian smiles on our face in Christian places. You know, a mighty fortress is our church. Don't let anyone in. No, we're supposed to move out into the world with Jesus to transform it. <clears throat> Heard about a man named Vance, who is African-American, lives with his family in a mostly Hispanic neighborhood, and there's been some racial tension there. Well, one night, a 16-year-old Hispanic boy who lived just a few doors down came to Vance's house because he needed help tying a tie. He had a big presentation at school the next day, but no dad to show him how to do it. And he'd seen Vance with his family and with his church friends and, and, and just felt like Vance was someone he could approach. So there's the church being a witness without even saying a word. 
Well, after Vance got done tying the tie, the boy then asked, do you have a pair of black dress shoes that I could borrow? And Vance said, immediately, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind my brand new expensive shoes that were sitting in the closet and hadn't even been worn yet. And he said, I cringed because I really liked those shoes and I really didn't want to lend them to this kid. So he went upstairs and he said to look for any other pair of shoes but that shoe, right? I got to have another pair of shoes. But as he went upstairs, he made a mistake. He happened to mention to his wife what he thought God had just said. She rolled her eyes and she said, oh, come on, Vance, give him the expensive shoes. So then, so Vance, you know, reluctantly he got him, then brought him downstairs. And all the while he's thinking, maybe they won't fit. Please, God, don't fit, don't fit, right? (laughs) But like Cinderella, they fit perfectly. So he decided that was God at work, so he gave the boy the shoes. Didn't lend, gave the boy the shoes. Well, that was in the end. Because a few weeks later, Vance got a nudge from God so that he and some of his friends should start a Bible study and maybe invite some of these boys to be part of it. So they sent out invitations, and they bought four Bibles in case any of the kids showed up. Seven kids showed up the first night led by the 16-year-old wearing his brand-new shoes that he never stopped wearing. Next week, 14 kids showed up. The week after that, even more kids showed up, and more and more. And Vance and his friends just started loving on these kids and being kind of stand-in dads to a lot of these boys that didn't have fathers. And all of them are getting honest with each other about their sins, their failures, their fears. Lives are being turned around. Kids are getting off drugs. There's racial healing because Vance is African-American. The kids are Latino. Because Vance and his friends were being the caring, authentic, reaching to the world community that Jesus empowers us to be. And they're changing a whole neighborhood. And how cool for Vance and for his friends. I mean, how cool to be able to be stand-in dads to kids who have, who have no dad and desperately need it and who, who then return to you all of their love and their devotion because you stepped in when everyone else stepped out. That's church. The verb. It is not a club that dispenses religious goods and services. It is meant to be a radical community that rises above our culture in ways that really matter. And what if, what if we as a community continue to do what we have tried to do for 55 years and keep pressing in that direction to be more and more and more that kind of community? What would that do? What if we did that? So that in a culture that often where we feel uncared for, we would be a caring community. And we're in a culture where we often feel like we have to pretend to have it all together and all of that pressure, we could be honest and real right here. And in a world that seems out of control, with Jesus' power, we move out into the world and push back on the powers of darkness. What would that do for folks around us? How many would be attracted to that? And what would that do for us? Because I don't know about you, but that's the kind of community I want to be a part of, and I bet you guys do too. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples did not get together and say, ooh, ooh, I know, I know, I know. Let's do this. Let's start a club where everyone comes together, sings their favorite songs, gets talked at for 20 minutes, if you're lucky, that's all it is, engage in arguments about stuff that doesn't really matter, and the fee for all of this will be 10% off the top of everything they earn, and you have to miss the playoff game to be there. (laughs) As attractive as that sounds, nobody said that. Nobody said that because that's not church. That's not what church is meant to be. That's not what Jesus meant church to be. That's not what church is. No, that first church, 
That first church was a community of people whose lives had been turned upside down by the character-changing, barrier-breaking, relentlessly pursuing, never giving up on, there is nobody too bad for I choose you to be mine, love of Jesus. A community who loved each other so much they'd sell some of their stuff to help each other out. A community where people of different races who'd hated each other for 500 years started calling each other brother and sister in Christ. Community who took care of the sick and the dying, even if it meant dying themselves. A community where prostitutes and embezzlers, rich businessmen who'd exploited their workers, all came together and honestly confessed their sins to one another and heard the words, welcome home, brother, welcome home, sister. A community whose common life together was so powerful, it overflowed the boundaries of their group and it spilled out into the world. And so many people wanted to be part of that community that it grew faster than any religion ever has in all of human history, in spite of the fact that the penalty for being part of that community was being thrown to the lions or wrapped in pitch and set on fire to be a candle in a Roman orgy. But even when that happened, they prayed for the people who were persecuting, persecuting them and they sang and they celebrated and they showed the joy of Jesus to everyone around them. What are you going to do with people like that? You can't stop them because it's just too attractive. And it happened then and things like that are happening all over the world, including here And it will happen more and more and more as we begin to follow Jesus more than our culture and watch him transform us and through us change the world. That's what church is. So Jesus asked that you would help us be that community to one another. Lord, pray even this week that all of us would feel cared for by a brother and sister in Christ or that we would feel like we could have a without wax moment with a Christian friend, or we make a difference through your power in the world. Lord, help us to be that community for our own sakes and for the sake of the world that you died for. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.